Um, today's reading is um, on page 822 of our Bibles here. Um, we're reading Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 31. So that's on page 822. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister, sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thanks, Nicole. G'day, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors. But the question that we're looking at tonight is the question come through in the series, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? And you know, that question, how good is good enough, that's a good question. It's a good question because it's something that we actually ask in, we're asking ourselves this all the time in lots of different areas of life. I've got a few slides here, Nicole, so if you can show everyone this, this is a DIY project I did in my backyard recently. See, we had this problem where around the front of our house we had this garden that is nice and sunny and it's got lots, lots of nice flowers in it that my wife Adele planted, except Matilda, our dog, was causing problems because she was nice and sunny and had lots of nice flowers, so she wanted to go around there and spend some time around there too, except her idea of a good time around the front is digging it up, using it as a toilet and generally sleeping on the flowers. And so we needed a barrier. We needed to stop her from, from coming through. And so, uh, being the handyman I am, I set to work. I built this fence uh, that ran along to stop, her, to stop her from getting around the front. But as you can see, I was one fence paling short. But not to worry. Uh, we had some plywood and some lattice. And so what I did was, you know, I just stuck it in there, completed the job. Now, Matilda, she's secure in the backyard. As you can see in the next photo, she's kind of stuck there trying to get through. She can't get through. Job done. The, the, the daffodils are now safe. Good enough? Well, how good is good enough? Uh, see, one of my life mottos is done is better than perfect. And so in this situation, I thought, done. Dog can't get to the front yard. Done is good enough. But I know that some of you look at this picture and you're dying on the inside. And pictures like this next one, pictures like this kind of, some of you look at that and it kind of, it makes you want to poke your eyes out. 
And if that's you, then you're in good company because that's my wife Adele as well. She wasn't particularly stoked either. The first thing she said when she saw my fence wasn't, oh, thanks, that's great. The dog won't be able to ruin my daffodils. It wasn't, oh, wow, that must have been really hard. The first thing she said was, so you're going to get that last paling and finish the job properly, right? See, while my motto is done is better than perfect, Adele's motto is probably something like uh, a place for everything and everything in its place. And if you kind of look that up on the internet, it'll say the motto of a perfectionist. But how good is good enough? How good is good enough? Now, I might think the job is done, but is it done to the right standard? And who, who has the authority to set the standard? And that question, how good is good enough, is a question we find ourselves asking all the time. Uh, for those of you who are studying at the moment, uh, you're about to hand an assignment in at uni. How good is good enough? You're asking yourself that question all the time. You know, can I stop working on it and move on to the next thing or get some sleep or do something else? How good is good enough? Maybe if you're working, you're about to send an email, proposal to the client. How good is good enough? Uh, you know, you're interviewing candidates for a job. You're pulling weeds in the garden. You're cleaning the kitchen or you're watching your flatmate clean the kitchen or what they call cleaning the kitchen. Uh, you're about to buy a present for a friend. You're planning a party. How good is good enough? It's a question we're asking all the time in lots of different areas of life. And so when it comes to God, it's a a question we want to ask of God as well. We want to ask God, how good is good enough? And the reason we want to ask that is because I think for a lot of us, most of us, our default way of thinking is that God lets good people into his heaven. Most people believe that there is a connection between the quality of life they live now and what will happen to them after they die. Most people think those two things are related. Now, different people might think different things about what happens when we die. Some people, you know, they think that there's a place called heaven where good people go to be with God. Uh, Some people might think that after this life, there's a paradise to be enjoyed or punishment to be endured, depending on how we lived. Some people might even believe in some form of reincarnation where after this life, we'll come back as another creature or at a different place in the social or economic pecking order. Now, regardless of however you define heaven, most people on this planet believe that there is a relationship between how good your life is now and what will happen to you after you die. And essentially, it boils down to this. Essentially, most of us believe that good people go to heaven. And most of us assume that we're pretty good. So we're going to be okay. And you know what, that way of thinking, it's not, it's not bad. The idea that good people go to heaven, uh, that idea has a bit going for it. I've got three reasons why a lot of us think this way. Uh, the first is that it seems fair. Uh, in our house, if our kids behave well, they get rewarded. So they were behaving well yesterday, so they got to make lamingtons and they were delicious. If they misbehave, like my son Finn was this afternoon, he gets punished. He got sent to his room, put in time out. He lost privileges. In our society, if you keep the laws, life goes well for you. If you break the laws, then expect the consequences. Uh, At work, uh, if you do a good job, you get rewarded. You might get promoted. You might get a raise or a bonus. If you don't do a good job, well, you might lose the promotion or the bonus. Um, Or you might even lose the job itself. At uni, if if you work hard, if you do good work, you get good results. And if you don't, you run the risk of failing. See, this is how it works in almost every area of life. In almost every area of life, good behavior reward, equals rewards, and bad behavior gets punished. 
And so it makes sense that if this is how life works day to day, it makes sense that this is how it should work with heaven too, doesn't it? Good people get to go to heaven and bad people don't. And at first glance, it seems like a fair system. The second reason why a lot of us think that good people go to heaven is because on the surface, it appears to be what the Bible teaches. Now, I mean, the Bible teaches us about a good God. And the Bible teaches us about there's a good place after this life. And so the good God hangs out in this good place, heaven. And it seems to make sense that if the good God is in good heaven, then good people are going to go there and be with him. And that bad people wouldn't. So good people go to be with good God in good heaven. That seems to be on one level what the Bible is teaching. Uh, there's things in the Bible like uh, <coughs> a, a whole bunch of rules throughout the Bible uh, that God expects us to keep. You've got the Ten Commandments. You've got kind of the golden rule to kind of do unto others. And, it, and uh, it's easy to get the sense sometimes if you read the Bible at a pretty surface level, it's easy to get the sense that keeping the rules is what you need to do to get the reward. I mean, there's Jesus' own, par- Jesus own words in the parable of the net. Uh, In Matthew 13, I've got a slide here if you don't have to look it up. Uh, Matthew 13 says this, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Uh, When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. You know, the good fish will be collected at the end of the age... The righteous will be separated from the wicked. And it seems to, seems to be that on one level, the Bible is saying that good people go to heaven. The third reason why we think that good people go to heaven is because most of us think that that's going to include us. I mean, you, you're a good person, aren't you? I mean, you may not be a saint like Mother Teresa or Richie McCaw, but you're, you're better than average, Right? I mean, you look around the society and you you read the news and you see the murderers and the bank robbers and the people who put sugar in their coffee and you think, I'm not that bad. I've spent a lot of of time chatting with people and, and almost everyone I've talked to about heaven assumes that they're going there. They say, I'm not a bad person. I'm sure, I'm sure that on the balance of things, God will let me into his heaven I'm pretty sure that's where I'm going. And so one of the reasons we think good people go to heaven is because we think we will make it. I mean, you've, you're a good person, right? You, you might have given some to, money to charity. You've come to church tonight. Maybe you've not done any really bad stuff. And, and in the end, you'll be right, won't you? Good people go to heaven. It seems fair. It seems like what the Bible teaches. And we all generally seem to think it's going to work out well for us. But if this is how we think, and many of us, have, uh, many of us do think this way, uh, we actually do have a problem. And the problem is this. The problem is that many of us don't know how good is good enough. Hence the question. Many of us don't know how good is good enough. We're in the dark. We might have a guess. We might, have a, we might hope that on that last day, God is feeling particularly generous when our time comes. But really, if push comes to shove... None of us really know the, the standard by which we'll be measured. We don't really know the standard by which we will be measured. We don't know how good is good enough. And so it's like enrolling in a paper and, and you go into the first class and the teacher arrives and, and the teacher says, the final exam is on the 23rd of November. Everything for this, this class hangs on that exam. 100% of your mark. 
Uh, but before I go, let me just tell you, there is no syllabus, there is no readings, there are no past papers, there is no lectures, no tutorials. Don't contact me, I'm going to be away all semester. I'll see you on the 20th for the final exam. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, one test, and that's our whole grade? Yeah. No syllabus? That's right. No lectures or readings or past papers or notes? Correct. And the lecturer walks out. You'd never sign up for a paper like that. That's craziness. But if we're someone who believes that good people go to heaven and we're not sure how good is good enough, then that's exactly what we're trying to do. There is a final exam. Our eternal future depends on it. And we don't know what's in the test. We've got no idea whether we're going to measure up on that last day. If we, think that good people know, if we think that good people go to heaven, we need to know how good is good enough. We need to know what we're aiming for. And so it's kind of almost with this sense of panic that in Mark chapter 10, this man comes and throws himself, on the feet, throws himself down at the feet of Jesus with this exact question. Now he's on his knees as he pleads with Jesus there in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It'd be great if you have Mark chapter 10 open. Verse 17, he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just a little bit about this man. Uh, this man is genuine. Uh, he's on his knees uh, before Jesus. He's not kind of asking hypotheticals. He's pleading with Jesus. And from what we know elsewhere in the Bible about this man, this man, his life is going well. And it's not as though he's down on his luck, kind of hoping for, for more in the life to come. It's not as though he's done something really terrible and he's trying to work out how he can free himself of the guilt of it. From what we know of the Bible, this man in the Bible, we know that he's rich. He has great wealth. Elsewhere in the Bible, we know that he's young. He's in the prime of his life. We know that he's a ruler, that he has power and authority and gravitas and people respect him. We also know that he's really good. We see in verse 20, verse 20 it says he's kept all the rules. He's done all the right things. And so this rich, young ruler who has kept all the rules comes desperately to Jesus and he's asking our question. He's asking our question. He's asking, how good, Jesus, how good is good enough? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just pause for a second. What do you expect Jesus to say? What do you expect Jesus to say? If you were to go down onto um, you know, Courtney Place tonight and you were to ask people, what would Jesus say to that question? They might say, go to church, pay your taxes, give to charity, pray, help little old ladies across the road, maybe become a priest or a monk or a nun. Maybe people would say, try to do more good than bad. Or leave the world a better place than when you found it? Maybe have a positive impact on the lives of those around you? What must I do to inherit eternal life? How good is good enough? Well, Jesus does answer him. Jesus looks at this rich young ruler, kind of on his knees in front of him. And, and from what the passage tells us, we know that Jesus is going to tell him the truth. He's going to answer him straight. Verse 21 says that Jesus looks at him and loves him. You see, Jesus is not going to try and trick him. He's not going to try and disappoint him. He's not going to make things more difficult for him than they need to be. Jesus is going to give this guy an honest answer. And the answer that Jesus gives is the answer he gives is the one thing that this man cannot do. Verse 21. 
Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now we need to look carefully at Jesus' answer here. There are two parts to his answer. Jesus doesn't just say, if you just give your money away to charity, then that's good enough. He's not saying that's good enough. No, Jesus tells him to sell everything and come follow me. What Jesus is saying is, he's saying, get rid of everything that you love more than me. And to show that you've gotten rid of all those things that you love more than me, leave it all behind and start following me. You see, Jesus is asking for this man to trust him, to have faith in him. He's asking this, he's telling this rich man to rearrange his life with following Jesus as the number one priority. That's Jesus' answer to what is, that's Jesus' answer to how good is good enough. To put Jesus first above everything. To trust and to follow and to submit your whole life to Jesus. How good is good enough? We'll give up everything and follow Jesus, is what Jesus says. But what happens? Verse 22. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, the rich young ruler, he couldn't be good enough. He couldn't do it. He, he couldn't place following Jesus above his wealth. Or, and, and so he leaves Jesus disappointed. His face fell. Now, I don't know whether you realize this, but this is a real problem for you and me. You see, if this man couldn't do it, if he wasn't able to be good enough, then what hope do we have? I mean, just, just in case you think this kind of rich young ruler was a kind of greedy dude, or if you think that if you're in his sandals, you would have been able to follow through with it, look at what, his, look at what Jesus' disciples say. Jesus' disciples watch this all take place, and then they say this in verse 26. The disciples were amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? They're seeing this brilliant young man come up to Jesus, this young man that they all know is a great, fine, upstanding citizen, and they've seen this man come to Jesus, this man who everyone else would have said he's good enough, and then they've seen him walk away with his face fallen, walk away from Jesus disappointed. You see, how good is good enough? You might want to say, I give to charity. Look how often I come to church. Look how kind I am to people. I I do my recycling. I've I've given blood. Uh, You might want to say, I'm I'm honest. I'm hardworking. I'm, I'm not a thief or a murderer or a dentist. I haven't done anything evil like that. But according to Jesus, no one is good enough. You see, even even the best, they come to Jesus and, and, and they fall short. And so it leaves his disciples grappling with the question, if this man can't do it, then what hope is there for the rest of us? Who then can be saved? Well, at this point, Jesus, he speaks again. You see, all hope isn't lost. Now hear these words from Jesus in verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, 
With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, there is hope. There is hope with God. And as we read more of the story of Jesus, we see that the hope of eternal life, it isn't based on what we do, but our hope is in what God has done. I'll say it again. Our hope isn't in what we do. Our hope can only be in what God has done. It's worth just thinking for a moment about the difference between do and done. Do is about work. It's about putting in effort. It's about having to work hard to achieve something. You, you do the dishes. You do your job. You do your study. You do your hair if you've got some. You do your paperwork. You do your homework. You do your exam. Uh, you do it yourself. You see, doing is working at something to achieve something. And that's what this rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he leaves disappointed because Jesus says, you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. That's do, but, but done is different. You see, when something is done, there is nothing left to do. Done is about resting and enjoying. The cleaning is done. The washing is done. The job is done. The paperwork is done. The to-do list is done. There is nothing left to do anymore. And isn't that a great place to be when you get there? So if we can't, if we can't be good enough by what we do, what is it that God has done? What is it that God has done for us? Well, Peter, uh, one of the disciples who was there watching this rich young ruler walk disappointedly away from Jesus, Peter wrote this about Jesus later in the New Testament. Uh, Peter wrote this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 about Jesus. He himself bore our sins on his so he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. Now the first thing I want you to notice here is the tense that Peter is using. He's talking about what Jesus has done. He's talking about what Jesus has done as Jesus bears our sins on the cross. And what that means is that the punishment that we deserve, because we're not good enough, Jesus has taken that punishment for us. He has taken that punishment for us by dying in our place on the cross. And that is done. That is completed, that is finished, which means that our failure to be good enough is no longer what defines us. But if we trust in Jesus, what Jesus has done, that is the thing that defines us. That is the only thing can, that can make us good enough. You see, if we come to Jesus, if we realize that we can't do it on our own, if we come to Jesus and trust in what he has done for us, in what he has already done on the cross, he has opened up eternal life. He has opened it up for us through dying in our place on the cross. So how good is good enough? That's our question. How good is good enough? Well, God's word is clear. What Jesus has done, his death for you on the cross, that is the only thing that is good enough. 
In Jesus, it has been done for you. Come to Jesus. Trust in him. And you will inherit eternal life because his death for you is the only thing that is good enough.